Welcome back to Mark's Madness. Oh, yeah. Welcome back. We are doing it again. We're doing it again. Welcome back to Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. My name is Nathan. My name's David. And we will be continuing our reading of George Jackson's Blood in My Eye here momentarily. But uh, for now, as we are wont to do, we are going to take a beat stop to some current events. Mm. Mm. Current. Uh, that's that's not going <laughs> to stick. That's that's no. not going to. Where the hell did that come <laughs> I don't know. It's been a long week, guys. Uh, Captain is Tuesday. All right. Well, uh, all right. Here we are. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, first up on the current events block, uh, probably the most pressing international current event uh, that I can put my finger on right now, at least on the communist side of things, would definitely be elections in America's second favorite puppet, Colombia. Uh, yes. And they went well. Put yeah, some questioning no- hands. They they went they went extremely well. So we're gonna have to temper this with with some realism here, okay? Because this is a material analysis, not like a a, a rah rah thing, right? Um, but let's be very clear: this is an overwhelmingly good thing, right? All the time when you hear about you know all the Democrats pushes Bush of like, oh, we have we have a, a reactionary Congress in our way, and we can't do anything, and we're the lesser of the two evils, and and all that shit, right? Well. The U.S.'s favorite Latin American puppet, the U.S.'s second favorite puppet behind Israel, that's actually going to apply to, to the opposition party to Petro. So, um, Gustavo Petro, in spite of being a former Marxist guerrilla, is not a incredibly far left candidate, right? A wild um, sentence to utter. <laughs> he's not the guerrilla he once was. Um, <laughs> He is, <laughs> he's not gun, gun toting, hiding in the bushes, you know, teaching people literacy. He, he's out there, um, just doing kind of milk toast left politics, but that is insanely left for Colombia, right? Colombia is a place where just regularly, like almost once a day, activists are being killed, right? Sometimes multiple times a day, activists are just being killed, social leaders are being killed, reporters are being killed, right? It is the worst, um, you know, in the, the Western world for just uh, absurd uh, human rights abuses as far as like, you know, covering up of of atrocities and, and things like that right um this was a major indigenous campaign which ooh, we need to talk about the general strike in ecuador when we get there too um put a pin in that one we'll be back put a pin in that one speaking of indigenous movements uh but the resistance has long been in a largely indigenous resistance against right-wing drug lords right this is the narco capital of the west okay mm-hmm. this is what the cia and the dea uh run most of their operations out of and this is why Venezuela was so threatening other than being on top of such a large reserve of oil is not only just another country in Latin America the U.S. wants to dominate, but it was right next to Colombia, okay? And there's a huge crossover there where there are millions of Colombian refugees in Venezuela, and by the same token, because of the economic hardship that the sanctions have put on, there are thousands of Venezuelans who have moved to Colombia looking for work, right? So there's a lot of crossover in these countries, even in spite of the radically different politics, okay? Now, Uribe, who was the leader in the early 2000s, kind of as, as, um, 
uh, Chavismo, you know, Rose in Venezuela, uh, is a huge drug lord, right? And was kind of the guy backing all of the right wing candidates. Okay. Ivan Duque, who's technically in charge now, right? The, the, the election's over, but the power hasn't transferred. Um, is, <coughs> is of course, you know, uh, one of Uribe's handpicked successors, right? A little handpicked lackey right there. Um, and, you know, Roberto Hernandez was, of course, even farther right than that. He was praising Hitler. He was just an absolute monster. Well, um, David, he was confused. He thought it was Einstein. He thought it was Albert Einstein. That's the, the great German thinker, Adolf Albert Einstein, or some shit. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, uh, God. Uh, but anyway, so this was, you know, an election between someone who was somehow more fascistic than the regular drug lords who were defeated in the first round. Um, and this was a very close runoff with a very high turnout. And remember, voting is life threatening in Colombia. This is not your normal, like, go out and vote and maybe some right wingers will intimidate you or, you know, they, they close out voting stations to make the lines longer and hope like the heat or the traffic or just a long day or the inability to get off work, you know, suppresses your vote. And there's real violence and intimidation in like the u.s with voter suppression but this is on a different level just going to vote in these regions could get you killed could get you shot very very easily right just like being an activist and a social leader can right this is is a life-threatening campaign in fact uh the screws are probably going to tighten against uh gustavo petro and and his uh, you know his fear for his life is it's radically skyrocketed but this is the goal he set out for okay um but Basically, he's someone, he's kind of a, a milk toast center left guy, okay? He, he believes in gun control, which is, is big because the peace accords from 2016, just like peace accords back in, in prior decades, uh, not honored by the right, uh, were not honored by, by Ivan Duque and, and left wing people, you know, former FARC, uh, militants were being killed after laying down their guns, right? Um, also, you know, uh, uh, his vice president, Francia Marquez? Francia Marquez. Um, Francia Marquez, of course, much more radically far left. Um, but a few things he's talked about, you know, he's not supporting Venezuela and he denounces it and, and all the, the rigmarole that, that U.S. puppets like to, to do and, and probably, you know, supposedly sees that as, as practical politics or something. Um, but he's talked about normalizing relations with Venezuela, you know, resuming, um, economic ties with them. So, you know, just those warming of relations with Venezuela is a huge, radical shift not having the drug cartels in charge this huge radical shift but he is going to face a lot of opposition he does not have a majority in congress right um you know the congress is still controlled by the same right-wing regimes okay Mm. um you know it's wasn't just the military that worked close ties hand in hand with right-wing militias those right-wing militias are out there and the leaders of the militaries are out there in fact uh one of the top generals actually threatened petro's life if he didn't resign and now he's won the election and that general technically answers to him but we're materialists Mm -hmm. that's going to be a complex situation right a little bit so it's it's somewhere who you know you can't always find analogous politics, but his politics are somewhere kind of between Pedro Castillo and Gabriel Boric. You know, this is not like um, Hugo Chavez suddenly took over Colombia, but this is an enormous, enormous shift that can save lots of lives. And in Colombia, in Venezuela, from normalizing economic ties, um, this is a huge, huge victory, and it is a big hit 
to, you know, one of the U.S.'s biggest puppets, right? Um, so I'm sure a coup is going to be attempted, but so long as Petro survives in power and so long as he can ship away against the right-wingers at all the top military and government posts opposing him, this is going to be a radical move left, right? So this is huge, huge news. Probably just not, not from a being the farthest left or the, the, you know, most socialist, um, standpoint, you know, obviously, you know, some of the biggest victories in the, the pink tide there, of course, um, Nicolas Maduro coming out of, you know, Chavez and Chavismo there, um, you know, Evan Morales and, um, uh, Arez, is that who? I, I can't remember Lu- his Luz name. Luis Arez, yes. Luis Arce. 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 Yeah, Luis Arce. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, also the, you know, the, the overturning of the whole coup in, in Bolivia and, and flipping it back into the people's hands and, and what Paula gains. But as far as like from how far right things were, just so much as elections have any power, which we've said before, you know, they're limited, right? This is not an armed revolution, but it is something that has some kind of power. You know, it's not like here in the, the, you know, um, uh, in the metropole where yeah. <laughs> you don't make any difference because you can't oppose the imperialism, right? You can win elections and oppose, imperi- oppose imperialism to some degree in the global south. This is a huge victory. This is a huge swing left. This is a huge hit to U.S. power. And so this is probably, you know, the election to celebrate the most. Now, it was a close win and it's not going through like court appeals and stuff like that. So I don't know what to make of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if the U.S. has just decided that calling all elections fraudulent when they were run under governments the the U.S. likes, even if the U.S. doesn't like the results, is not in their strategy under Blinken. Um, and, and they did successfully, you know, basically bully Pedro Castillo to kick out all the radicals from his cabinet. So maybe they're thinking they can do the same thing with Petro. I don't know. Yeah. But this is an enormous shift left and an enormous hit to the right wing of Colombia. And this will be major, major gains, especially in Colombia and Venezuela, but really all over Latin America. hundred. That is, uh, that, that, that is great analysis. Thank you very much, David. Um, next up in current events, um, just kind of piggy, the following the ongoing saga that is, uh, the Uvalde massacre. Um, yes, there has been in recent days, and again, remember, we record these a little delayed for you guys, so it, it has already come to pass for you, um, but the realizations over the last 24 or 48 hours, essentially, that th- there was absolutely nothing stopping these cops from going in other than the fact that they refused to go in because apparently they're pinning it all on the one sheriff uh, who who was there on the scene that told him to stand down, and that's the guy that that's going to be their fall guy for this one. Um, I find it hard to believe that a bunch of determined people with what are we're now being shown our riot shields and heavy weapons and things of that nature were all just like, well, nope, my job here is done. Uh, so again, we know what cops are. They show it to us over and over again. This is just another example of that. Yeah, this is a difficult situation because, you know, it's moments like this that do get amplified, um, you know, that you can agitate around, um, and there should be public outcry, right? This is horrendous and tragic and inexcusable, and it was blatant, and we should rally around, you know, standing up and, and finding justice for those parents and those children, um, you know, involved in the Uvalde massacre, but... The fact of the matter is, too, it's also kind of a tricky thing because then you're almost re-upping the assumption that the cops should have done something, that their job is to do something. And that's not what cops are. Cops did what they do, right? They don't care about human life. 
They don't, they especially don't care about it if it's not white people and they crowd control and they bully and they look out for themselves. Right. Um, that said, the details of this are, are so bad that there's some infighting factions, uh, within the police. So like, you know, there's, there's investigations going on and they are going to find a scapegoat, right? They are going to do the, the, oh, it's one bad apple thing. And, and people seem to forget the old expressions. One bad apple does spoil the whole bunch. bunch. That's the expression. I mean, it's kind of like the pull your up yourselves up by, by your, your bootstraps, bootstraps thing that was made to be ridiculous and now it's like normative like a like a good thing to take seriously so you know we've we flipped the the one bad apple thing but they're trying to find who to point the finger to and get out it's all of them it's the entire structure of policing this was totally inexcusable and it was cops doing cops right but also there's been some really interesting things coming out what has leaked like you know the cops claimed the door was locked and it was unlocked the whole time and claimed they were waiting on a key and they it, but they knew it, you know that wasn't the case right it was a mm-hmm. load of bullshit they tried to pin it on the the one teacher early on if you remember right too yeah, somehow doors prop the door open or something like that somehow doors are incredible sentient beings that control everything <laughs> in life in some way that cops can't handle right they're totally subject to the the doors um but you know, outside of the, the amazing walking, talking doors with a mind of their own, uh, they could have gone in. And I'm amazed that that's probably the only detail that's come out. I feel like there's only certain details coming out and a lot still being protected back because oh, yeah. cops are openly not cooperating with investigations. You remember the, the early on, they, for no reason at all, kind of pulled the, like, you know, we really not believe human that the trafficking. cops didn't shoot anybody. Yeah, yeah, that, like, I, we really believe that, that all of the children and teachers were shot, um, by, I, I can't even remember that the killer's Ramos? name. Ramos? Ramos, so, you know, but, <laughs> you know, why, why did they say things like, yeah. oh, you know, police, police, you know, we believe it was entirely killed by the shooter, police only, like, why did you go out and say that? Nobody asked that question. I, uh, yeah, that, and now, that very much is like... The- that that very much is uh, is, nobody... is my not involved in human trafficking shirt as Thank people. You. Thank you. I was, I was trying to find. The, I was trying to find the, the shirt. Meme. Damn it! I knew it was yeah. out there somewhere. It's it, that. But it, it's that it's, meme. One hundred percent. It's absolutely that. But now you know. Of course, they keep saying they, they've openly used words like embarrassing. They they've said that they should not. And then again, this is not the first time reactionaries and the state has basically told you to your face, fuck you, and mm-hmm. then, you know, people have just ignored it. You know, people, just like cops don't have the, uh, cops don't have to protect you. They're not in duty to protect you. That's been declared by the courts, right? They'll openly say, like, oh, you know, we're this wouldn't be good. We're, we're lying. We're trying to do propaganda stuff that would under, you know, they basically almost say that exactly, much more openly than you would believe, and people just let it go. It just flurries away. And they've basically said, we can't let the details of this come out. It would be too embarrassing. They said that out loud. loud. As a defense. Yeah, as a defense. It's like, that kind of means the details should come out. Yeah. And so it makes you wonder what details aren't coming out. I mean, Um, I I don't think we're dancing around it. The cops shot some kids. I guarantee you. I, you know, again, I can't, I can't say yes or no on that or how many, but if the number was zero, that would be the biggest surprise. Yeah. And then I feel like they're trying to release the stuff today to be like, no, no, no. They were cowardly. They didn't murder anyone. They were just absolute chicken shits. Right, right. Or, 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 you know, they're, they're dumbasses that were like subservient to, to the chain of command. They can't think for themselves or protect people. They just do what they're told. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's, it's just, oh my God. Yeah. 
I can't even, I can't, it, what the hell, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so hey, yeah, that is, go that, ahead. No, no, mine was going to be a transition. You were summing up. Yours is a much better thing. Do that. I No, I don't have anything to, I'm speechless. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I have a material analysis for it. But beyond that, it's tragic, it's heartbreaking, it's frustrating, it's ridiculous. You know what the material al- analysis is. We're starting to get redundant, and I don't know what else to say. I just feel no. like something else should be said because these families deserve something else to be said. But I I don't know what else to, to put in. Cops no. are cops. They yeah. lie. They kill. They protect themselves. They're cops. Yep. But hey, Joe Biden fell off a bike this week, gang. And uh, for that, you know, let us take solace that the leader of the free world can eat shit. I missed this somehow. He fell (laughs) off a bike. Are you you kidding? Oh, it was the best thing ever. Yeah, he's just like pulling up to a little photo op like ding, ding. And then he's just like, oh, fuck. And just eats it. (laughs) It's awesome. Jesus. Um, Unless... And less hilarious and back to the tragic news. Damn it! Uh, My interlude wasn't long enough. I'm sorry, gang. It wasn't. Um, the Supreme Court continues just to, to outright. I, I don't know. I, again, human rights in the United States have always been kind of an illusion. but Tenuous at best. Right. Tenuous at best. But the tenuousness, the going through the motions, the quote-unquote bureaucracy, the quote-unquote red tape that, that right-wingers hate, it's still... It existing at least saves lives and protects people, even if it does a very poor job of it. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and and we talked about you know recently, of course, you know we know the, the Roe v. Wade rulings. Um, we know uh, that the tax on on um, trans people and the the, the uh, panic defense. Mm-hmm. Um, we know. Uh, that they've stripped away your ability to appeal innocence um, mm-hmm. from bad representation lately. Had we now, hit Miranda? Had we hit Miranda rights yet, or was that this week's uh, fun order? No, I uh, really, really fun other one. Um, apparently, the state cannot. The state has to pay for Christian schools. Mm-hmm. In that, like, if a state has funding for schools. And you say, okay, I'm a Christian school, and we go, oh, separation of church and state, secular, we can't do that, as is normal. That is the supposed great omnipotent thing, besides bringing you democracy, something that was robbed away from the indigenous people we genocided and then pretended like we ripped from Greek or from the brilliance of some slaveholders, right? The other great thing was was the secularism, right? We're getting away from the 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 church state, separation of church and state. That's the great brilliance of the founding fathers. Not not their genocide and slavery and who they are, and they weren't really that fucking brilliant. They were just power hungry. Nope. It's the great brilliance and they separate church and state. That's that's apparently all gone. Fuck that. That popping circumstance is over. You know, we've always to some level been a theocracy, but now we're starting to gold plate it again a little bit. And people are like, well, you know, might be like, oh, you're panicking. You know, this is just a little bit of money to a private school. But all of these are tests, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talk about like we fear privatization of Social Security, but it's not the privatization of Social Security. It's bad enough that funnels money back to rich people. But if you're just paying taxes to yourself, that's just to abolish Social Security, right? They already ended welfare as as we know it, and they're cutting back on all of the other social programs, right? Um, you know, we we worry about Roe v. Wade and the abortions are 
are, are bad enough to have the abortion rights taken away, but all, all of a sudden everything based on the 14th Amendment on that ruling is in jeopardy from gay marriage on down the line, right? Mm-hmm. It's the real effect. As soon as soon as this ruling is made, now the state can support Christianity, and you know the overt fascists all over the state are Christian fascists, and there is a very American Christianity that is it, not to say no other Christianity ever has white supremacy tied in, but it is based – the God is white supremacy, right? I mean, we, we pretend that that it's the same God as you know any other Abrahamic religion. But let's face it. The God is white supremacy, okay? Yeah. You know, it's God gave us this country. This is God – one nation under God. This is God's country, and, and it's, it's, it's a Christian country, and God – God bless the USA. Manifest God bless destiny. us all. And the manifest destiny. It's all this this white supremacy as a it, – again, for all of Christianity's ties to colonialism and all the colonialism based on on, on the wants of, of popes and things like that, right? For all of Christianity's white supremacy and colonialism, this is something distinctly not even Christian. The Christianity of it is totally a facade and – from, you know, the, and not the overwhelming Catholic population of the United States, but the overwhelmingly white suburban Catholic population of the United States, the very right wing that even the Pope has had enough bullshit from, and, and they're still not going to listen to him. And he's openly said that there's an American Catholicism that just does not even listen. And yeah. that's, that's the Pope that finally replaced like the, the, the chain of three overtly fascist popes <laughs> and has not done enough, but at least done something to try to find justice for the, the kids molested under the, the church, right? Um, you know, that Pope has said Americans are getting in the way. Um, you know that strain of Catholicism, and, and even more importantly, on the Protestant uh, on the Protestant side, the overwhelmingly white evangelical movement is all tied into this. But this is really something that has existed for a long time. It's something that's existed for a long time in the white Southern Baptist Church. It's just something that's that's true to white Christianity in the United States. It's a Christianity that is that that is a religion of America. That is a religion of settler colonialism. And if you stop it, it's an affront to God. It's something very, very deeply woven into American fascism. And now it has an in, not, not that it didn't have a lot of state power and a lot of ties to wealth and a lot of ties to the right wing, but it has a very formal in against the one bullshit, like big red tape that held it back. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, not only does it say, oh, you know, I mean, this was the, the big thing with, with, uh, gay marriage and they tried to make it an issue. You remember when they were going after people, um, by like trying to, you know, not make cakes for them yeah. for their wedding oh, and, and yeah. doing shit like that, right? Oh, yeah. It, because it's a violate, you know, you being gay is a violation of, of my religion, right? This, it's the same. It's the, it's the same, you know, fascist theocracy that's deeply woven into American fascism now is, got licensed to be more deeply tied into the state all of all of the pomp and circumstance that was holding that even moderately in check is just washed away with this ruling so this ruling doesn't seem like a big deal it is an enormous fucking deal yeah it's it is well and that and again i i sort of joked about it up top but that is in addition to it looks like they are going to overturn the miranda ruling yeah yeah so um so for whatever little bit that's worth, I mean the Law and Order franchise is scrambling. They don't know what the hell they're going. If Ice T can't read you your rights live on TV, I don't know what this country is coming to anymore. Um, but it is it is definitely a, a, a just another thing 
another little restraint on cops that's just being ripped away uh, yeah. to let them go full full pedal to the metal fascist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, they, they, they came from slave catchers and, and, well, came from slave catchers in the South and people oppressing labor and Pinkertons in the North kind of merged together in what the American cop is now, as well as, of course, especially towards the West, um, you know, roving um, police and sheriffs that attacked and killed indigenous people, right? And that, that's kind of come together all together and coalesced into what the, the U.S. police are now and several forms of, you know, intelligence and departments and uh, anti-immigration and local patrol and state patrol. But it's all descended from that. And now it's coming back to its final form. It is a military occupation of the land, especially against non-white people, but including white people to a lesser degree if you're not super wealthy, property-owning, you know, rich guy, right – it's literally a military occupation to all of us. And the more different oppressed groups you belong to, gay, trans, black, indigenous, whatever, women, the more that entire apparatus is pointing its guns at you hard and explicitly. And they're just arming themselves to the teeth. That's been happening for decades. And now all the little things that get in their way are just being washed away. Yep. It is It is getting... It is getting terrifying. And yeah. uh, speaking of terrifying, I don't, I don't want to say we've undercovered this, but it feels like this has been more such a slow burn. And it's been happening in such at such a consistent, but not not nothing's peaked right now phase. Um, that I don't know if we're doing enough uh, coverage of just the absolute, I mean, genocide that this country is attempting to do to the trans community at this point. Um, yeah. it has been. It feels like the last couple of weeks it has just been coming at a consistent and terrifying pace. The 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 laws that are getting passed, the the tenor of the conversation, the switch to this sudden obsession with drag shows and 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 violent assaults on that, the uh, uh the Stormfront or whatever the Patriot Front, whatever those fascists were that got caught in what was it, Idaho or Iowa? Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh all of this just over the last I couple think it was weeks. Idaho. Yeah has just been escalating into what feels like something horrible. And then that cre- that wave, as as that wave of violence is happening, a light shines out in the distance. And the heavens open. And Hillary Clinton walks through the goddamn clouds. Oh, God. And lets us know, guys, this isn't the issue oh. we should be worried about. Our democracy is oh. at stake. And oh, God. Oh, yeah. And they want us to worry about the January 6th hearings. It's like, we don't give a fuck. What 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 were you? Def- I don't care. I don't care. Nope. I don't okay. care. Right? Like, sure. Okay. The the very people we're most worried about were the ones storming the castle because you you were the last bit of red tape. Right? I mean that we're not acting like that doesn't materially matter. But we're not here to fight for the red tape that's getting ripped away anyway with your seal of approval. Fuck off. Yeah. It's um, it's ridiculous. And instead, yeah. we're not focused on this massive. I mean, literally. And, and the mm-hmm. parallels we've talked, and I, I believe and, you've talked about it specifically, David, the parallels to how exactly like, where fascism went first in Nazi Germany. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that that's what, what, what was book burning, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we've talked about that before, right? It was the, the research, uh, the study, the school of sexuality, and it was destroying records on, on what had been found, uh, with, you know, homosexuality and transness and, and, and all of these things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
and so you know basically the all of the lgbtq um plus research was just gone and that was explicitly attacked as some kind of a front right and every country has in every period of time has its different primary targets but it's all one group right um it all deeply intertwines with racism it all deeply intertwines with misogyny uh but you know homophobia and transphobia is its unique thing and there's always a big target group among the group even though they're all getting hit right in nazi germany it was lesbians they were the, the biggest ones focused on and here it seems to be trans people but it's it's always one of the groups the most and yet it's all the groups at the same time mm-hmm. and we don't say that this out of hopeless like let's be very clear right this is not hopelessness we're not doomed this is not something to to fear or or feel helpless or feel like there is no future um this is a call to action okay this is us to be strong you have to know you know you you don't throw a punch without knowing where you're striking right and and you don't throw a punch without thinking about where you're striking and what kind of hits are coming at you if you get into a fight right I, uh, whether it's it's some kind of formal sport combat um like a, a martial art or boxing or a real street fight where someone's fighting with you right you don't ignore the way hits are coming at you and you don't fire aimlessly without a target we need to understand how we're being attacked and how we fight back and that's why we cover these things this is not hopelessness this is not panic this is not nihilism but it is very important because we need to know what we're fighting and how to fight it and we can't know that if we don't know what's going on that's why we cover the current events so this may seem dark but I do not want anyone to take this as doom and gloom. This, like anything else we do here, like every word we read in in Blood in My Eye here, right, um, or any of these other books we read, is a call to action. Absolutely. That is as perfect a transition into the work this week as I could imagine. And so that is what we shall do. Uh, transitioning right at the 30-minute mark, by the way. I mean, we split that by like five seconds. It was <laughs> it was absolutely beautiful. Um, just magic. Just, oh, it's like we planned this shit. Um, <laughs> Don't say that. People actually think we planned this shit. <laughs> and no one who's listened to us thinks we planned this shit. <laughs> uh, all right. Starting on page 157, last paragraph at the bottom. At its core, fascism is capitalistic, and capitalism is international. That is a goddamn one good sentence. I'm sorry. I don't want to yeah. stop that early, but at its core, fascism is capitalistic and capitalism is international. Like that, that's it I, right there. There's too many one good sentences and one good paragraph tied into one good book. We really appreciate George Jackson. He was such a brilliant revolutionary. And the fact that he was able to leave these works behind and, and obviously, you know, show with his actions, leave a full legacy behind is, is a blessing to every one of us as revolutionaries. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, that's, I don't know how much more to expand on that. That's so concise and straightforward yeah. and yet full of content. And the content is, we want to expand on it, but the content is obvious. Yeah. And it's, it's just like, how do you, it's a conservation of words. How, how can you possibly explain the current situation more concisely? It's, it's just right yeah. there. Yeah. If I'm going to be one of those like annoying quote people that just does random quotes by everybody I like, it's a picture of George Jackson with that quote just plastered everywhere. Yep. Beneath its nationalistic ideological trappings, fascism is always ultimately an international movement. 
Many of the fascist regimes that failed or lacked thrust, the Belgian Rexists, the Dutch NSB, National Socialist Movement. Oh, no, they must be leftists. They have the word socialist in their name. Japan's arrangement. That sounds vague and ominous. I don't know what Japan's arrangement was. You know, that arrangement in Japan. Uh, Romania's Iron, Iron Guard were all essentially too imitative and inflexible. Even the totalitarians must be supple and responsive if they are to be, survive. Peronism was imitative, as was the Brazilian integratistas. They were emulating their colonial masters in the USA. So one fascist regime falls to another more efficient fascist regime. Two factors must be seriously considered when analyzing the two largest fascist states in Latin America, Brazil and Argentina. Their dependence on foreign trade and their neocolonial status, which involves a dependence on foreign investment. When exports fall as they did during the depression of the 30s, the value of the national currency must also fall, and it follows that imports automatically decrease. The battle to balance payments begins necessitating massive governmental intervention, which leads inexorably to inflationary domestic economic policy and sometimes to a conflict of interest with the ruling class of the parent nation. Concern for balance of payments determines internal economic motives. The deficit financing, the attempt to control incomes by controlling labor, that little nugget. Hold on, we're going to come mm-hmm. back to that in a second. Price fixing, government stockpiling of agricultural surpluses, positive direction of investment, and the balancing of interests of the dualistic economy's elites can all be pointed to as evidence of an attempt to employ the centralist controls that characterize the classic fascist arrangement. The attempt to control incomes by controlling labor, price fixing. Mm-hmm. There, uh, again, not to derail us too much back onto current yeah. events a little bit, but you want a perfect tie-in to write this second. What the the that speech or that that well, article from Larry Summers that just came out that basically said in order to curb inflation, you've got to get unemployment to five percent for six years. Oh yeah, which is grotesque. And let, let's be real, that's a six-year average. So that means like if it's two percent now, there's gotta be some years where it's seven percent, eight percent, nine percent, right? It's it that is a flat out attack on workers to control the currency, to control the markets so that stocks are stable, right? And obviously we know the deficit talks has has been a bunch of bullshit, but from Democrats to Republicans, we know good and well, right? Um, the the Stasolite belief in deficit, 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 deficit. You start panicking about deficit. You start panicking about cost of labor, right? You're price fixing, not for the benefit of the workers whose wages you're cutting. Um, one second. What's up, buddy? Your shirt is glowing. Very good. My son has a glow in the dark shirt. Sorry about that. <laughs> no uh, worries. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> um, you know, you, you talk about price fixing for the convenience, for the convenient spending of, you know, the, the comfortable, right? Um, you see kind of a different a different flavor of that with, with COVID, it was opening up for the haircuts, right? The convenience of service and a service industry. Um, it wasn't for all people to have the convenience back to open up because it's not convenient for us to be half staffed everywhere and for people to be dying by the hundreds of thousands and for people to be permanently disabled by the millions, people to be forced back to work and for people to lose the government subsidies that were helping us along and helping us even do a faux shutdown that at least kept numbers down 
down, even if it wasn't enough funding or a real shutdown, right? Mm-hmm. That that all going away, that doesn't help workers, but that helps the comfortable, that helps them get their haircuts and go on vacations and go out to restaurants and things like that. And the same thing, you know, the price fixing for purchasing power, right? The difference between fascism and liberalism is that liberalism creates these power structures, right? And usually they're built on existing power structures. They're built on the existing colonialism. They're built on the existing monarchy, but they're not exactly the exact same people at the top. You know, it's the Burgess coming to the top along with factions of of the former aristocracy. And then, of course, a bunch of the aristocracy still has all the aristocracy still has wealth. It's not the pure aristocracy stays in power, right? Uh, but when liberalism comes in, it reforces the existing power structures and adds some new ones so that there's a broad power structure where a small nucleus of people control a large group of people uh, without the power structures being quite as rigid. And then when those power structures need protected because – you know, capitalism is in crisis. Now they re-centralize the economy, but not in the interest of workers, not by a government that's controlled by workers, but by those very people at the top of the power structure are centralizing it to make sure it's doing what they want. All of this chaos and out of control, all the ways that they lap things up when things go bad. You know, we have, we have a recession and the workers lose but the people top gain as much as ever. When they stop gaining as much as ever in these recessions, they've got to actually stop the recessions. Um, but they still want to keep the power structure in place. They can't let the workers take this over. They can't redistribute the wealth. And so it's a centralized economy for upholding the power structures rather than for dismantling them or serving everyone. Yep. The first fascist regime of Brazil was headed by Vargas. It lasted from 1930 to 1945. Coffee exports formed 70% of the nation's GNP prior to Vargas's takeover and the Depression. When international trade, especially in agricultural goods, collapsed, Vargas was forced to attempt experiments with the so-called closed economy. New internal markets had to be created. Investment and motives relocated. Industrialization attempted. But all of this planning, though successful to an extent, was still basically imitative imitative, and it did not accurately reflect the realities of the nation's inability to accumulate capital. It is extremely important not to confuse the three phases of fascism when studying Latin America. The second phase, in power but not secure, is the really significant part of the whole fascist episode. Regime after regime has failed to increase internal demand or unseat the traditionalist landed elite in favor of the small industrial interests. This means a permanent dependence on foreign trade and investment for machine tools, for weapons to control the people's movements, and for new raw materials to feed their light industries and flea markets. Consequently, we see these areas as the most glaring dichotomy of socioeconomic injustice. In the shadow of their plush beach resorts, which attract degenerates from all over the Western world, literally within rifle shot, live the people who service these vacation resort complexes in disease-infested, corrugated tin shanties on hillsides, constantly ravaged by mudslides. A strange combination of the first two phases of fascism. Without the massive military aid of the United States, Gestapo death squads, and the most intensive rightist terrorist, the guns of liberation would by now have certainly filled the streets and forests with blood to the horse's brow. It is important never to lose sight of Latin America's neo-colonial status. A victory for the people's liberation armies entails a victory over international capitalism, and especially a victory over the colonial masters. 
The puppet regimes of these areas cannot move firmly into phase three of the fascist arrangement for two reasons. The people are willing to use arms and are learning to use them more effectively, and because the regimes are imitative, not indigenous. They do not reflect the real interests of the nation's elites, but rather the interests of the ruling elites of the parental or the parent imperial nation, the USA. That that's a good observation. I also wanted to um, make sure we're keeping an ear out for this stuff because we did just talk about Colombia. You know, we're excited about the election results there, and of course, Colombia was in a. It, it would be now sixty-five years or so into it, but it, a fifty-year war. It's been embroiled in <laughs> right um, civil war that that really hasn't ended because the right wing didn't lay down their arms. Yeah, Germany attempted to rearm deflate its currency, and at the same time continue to meet the war-swollen demands of heavy industry. It finally fell of its own weight. The fascist economic arrangement failed under the pressure of war in Germany, in Austria, in Italy, and Japan, as later it failed the first regimes in Brazil and Argentina. The principal failing was very much the same that brought down laissez-faire. The capitalist business cycle cannot be controlled. That for everybody mm-hmm. talking about, oh, oh, where are they doing? What's the Federal Reserve doing to, to combat the reset? Nothing. You can't control capitalism. Doesn't mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. Inflationary spasmatic attacks, regional recession, and depression pursue capitalism in all its forms like a nemesis. Break its spirit, reduce its top-heavy bureaucratic backbone to jelly. Inflation, at first the key to regeneration after an extended collapse, ultimately leads to complex problems that seem to be beyond regulatory remedy. To control it by compressing wage demands always turns out to be politically unsound. And it is up to us to make sure it's politically unsound. That is, it's not just politically unsound on its own. It's not a magical mechanism. It's that it's politically unsound because people won't stand for it. And the greatest thing a revolutionary has, I believe this is a Malcolm X quote, is, is you know, it's not, it doesn't matter how much heart or will or ideology you have, you need organization. Okay, and, and, I misattributed the quote. I apologize, but <laughs> I, I know that's out there somewhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but, and, but and you see this, yeah. you see this right now when they're talking about to control yeah. it by compressing wage demands. Uh, Fed Fed Chairman, what is it, Jerome Powell, whatever his name is? Yeah, the one out- Trump appointed that Biden just kept in place mm-hmm. that just openly wants to suppress wages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that literally said. The reason for inflation is wages are too high and people ha- and, and employees have too much, too much power. Really, really. Six months ago, nobody wants to work and we can't find enough workers and there's no workers everywhere. And as soon as some unionization and some class consciousness and some things kind of start leaking in and, and working their way down, uh, all of a sudden the workers have too much power. Huh? Funny. Well, it's. It's a cycle, too, because remember, all they've got to do is they've got to, we, we talked about causation and correlation. All they got to do is flip cause and effect, right? They've got their correlation. Simple-minded people, oh, they'll see this unionization, they'll see the inflation, they'll go, oh, it's that, right? Never mind that the unionization is happening because of the inflation. Never mind mm-hmm. the unionization has happened because you're stripping stuff away, right? You're, you're flipping the cause and effect for your own political gains and then, then, you know, just working on loose correlation, right? Because then all of a sudden, it's so hard to have evidence back, but even if you do, you could just deny the evidence, and it's just 
ideological bickering and it's just projecting your politics onto reality, right? And they love that. They love flipping causation to project their politics on reality, on loose correlation. And they just need enough people behind them to go, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, and then they see both phenomena. So, you know, again, it's the same thing they use to attack um, ethnic minorities or LGBT um, plus people or anyone that gains any rights, Right. Capitalism inevitably dies. But in any society, workers are going to push for more rights. Right. And so any rights that are gained, you know, right wingers are just going to point at that and say, look, they're the problem. They ruin the economy. They're after all of you. And, and their and their issues are ruining the economy. You need to, you know, stop listening to them about their issues and you need to worry about uh, economics. Right. When their issues are rooted in economics and you have the cause and effect backwards. Yep. Every single time. Class consciousness in Germany was better developed than in any other European nation before and after the fascist takeover. So consciousness alone is obviously not the factor that determines which way a disintegrating society will society will develop, fascist or socialist. That gives me a little bit of heart. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not conscious, all right, well, all right, maybe the fact that we're not all socialists, maybe we've still got some hope. Uh, the task of diffusing the people's labor movement and balancing it in favor of the few special individual heavy industrial firms, Reichswerk, Hermann Goring, Krupp. Whoa, is that a real name? Reichswerk, Hermann Goring, Krupp? Okay. And the vital interest of the increasingly important chemical industry, IG Farben, etc., fell to the regime-sponsored labor front. Its first attempts to appease labor came in the form of slightly improved working conditions, meaningless slogans like strength through joy. Man, I feel that one right now. Jesus. Uh, which <laughs> that that feels like, you know, the heroes work here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, rise and grind. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> which echoed the Anglo-American work ethic. Even after the forcible suppression of the Vanguard Party by the Gestapo in the first years of the regime, the potential political power of labor due to workers' importance in the production, holy cow, of heavy armaments was such that really effective measures for controlling it were not devised throughout the tenure of the Third Reich. Wage increase. David, I'm, I'm sorry, but if we can't read the word production, what are we doing as Marxists? I'm, I'm sorry, okay? They split it up into different pages. I was trying, it was on a different thing. I had to scroll real fast. I'm, I'm, I was working on it. Wage increases couldn't be avoided. Rigorous state controls replaced mild repression and propaganda only after the Sudetenland affair of 1938. See, I can say Sudetenland. I can say that just fine. Uh, and the accentuated armaments drive of 1939. Because wages could not be successfully held down, the individual firms were after profits. Bear in mind, consequently, they devised many indirect incentives designed to attract a shrinking labor market. Measures were taken to limit the movement of laborers from place to place, and the other factors of production were openly channeled into the armament sectors by stringent government intervention. All idealistic, ideological pretenses were dropped. Racism in the interest of the military-industrial complex formed the socioeconomic and the psychosocial motives of the society and shook it apart. I, again, should sound very familiar. Uh, the one thing I will say that, that Germany had, though, other than being like a, in a world of multiple empires rather than the hegemonic empire on top now, and being one of the smaller ones that was, you know, that goes back to this internationalism, right? And, and what he was talking about, Brazil and Argentina, Germany was allowed almost encouraged to expand by the other Western powers in hopes that they'd attack the Soviet Union. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, we, we talk about, you know, just being given Czechoslovakia, but that was that was a two-wave action that was the last of several where Germany was just 
given things, given things, given things to grow in strength, right? Um, because, you know, Great Britain and the United States and France didn't see them as much of a threat, thought they could be contained, whatever they're getting, you know, they had been completely destroyed by the Treaty of Versailles. And so we talk about, like, oh, what a weak treaty, it got ruined at a whole nother world war a few years later, but it really wasn't the treaty or that it was a bad treaty. It was that everyone that signed it started having interest with crushing the Soviet Union rather than upholding what the treaty was meant for. And the very country most heavily punished was just handed everything until it was launched into power, yes. right? Um, fascism is – that really underscores – so it's really great that he's going uh, with Germany, although I'm surprised he – maybe he just is going to get into those details later. I don't I don't remember. I don't – I didn't memorize his book word for word. But <laughs> I'm surprised he isn't getting into um, the uh, – uh, you know, gr- the rise of Germany, uh, with as much as he's talking about Germany, but he is talking about it internally and it is a metropole. So maybe that's why. Maybe. Uh, the German economy was already in ruins by the time the Reich expanded into Russia. This expansion itself was a symptom of the economy's death directed lack of discipline. Its own internal contradictions and deceits destroyed it. An industrial military based economy must expand to live, must forcibly balance trade in fate in its favor to survive. No amount of logic or dissent can influence the men who have vested interests in the life of such an arrangement. Only organized violence and armed struggle could have stopped them before they lost their minds and destroyed so many lives. The counterterrorism of the Socialist Party's vanguard and the proper direction of the people's consciousness could have changed the whole course of history over the last 50 years. Once fascism moves into its third phase and contrapositive mobilization, the psychosocial antithesis of lower class mobilization insinuates itself technologically with weapons and control of the means of the people's subsistence, limiting their vision to their own personal short term interests with propaganda and empty promises. Only he who does not fear death of 1000 cuts can unseat can then unseat the Fuhrer. The United States was not existing in a vacuum when fascism first swept the Western world on the heels of two Great Depressions. My reading of history indicates that the U.S. was in greater economic, social, and political crisis after the 1929 stock market crash than any other Western company, country, excepting possibly Germany. The same trends, the same experiments, the same internal battles were fought by the same forces for the direction of the nation's economy. The extreme economic crisis of the early 30s brought working-class revolutionary consciousness to its very peak. All serious commentary on this period reflects a profound lack of confidence in the workability of capitalism. This avalanche of criticism came from the sectors of the middle and right-oriented thinkers as well as the left, just as it did in Italy, Germany, Romania, and the other fascist storm centers. But of course, the middle and rightist intellectuals were thinking in terms of a new direction for capitalist growth, not an abolishment. A new deal, much like those for Nazi, uh, those of Nazi, fascist, and phalangist Europe. No serious or honest student could miss the lightness. FDR was a fascist. His stated, documented, congratulatory messages to Mussolini were not simply diplomatic gestures. Joseph Kennedy's advice to England to surrender to German expansion did not necessarily originate in Kennedy's mind. He was official ambassador of the U.S. to England. There is someone that I don't think gets enough coverage with the, the lead up to World War II is Joseph Kennedy. We need to. I'm really glad he touched on 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 him. He was a big, big fan of Hitler. Um, what? Yeah. The head of the Kennedys? <laughs> oh, you don't say it ain't so, David. <laughs> it's uh, I've talked about uh, speaking of, of heads of, of 
future uh, um, presidential families. Oh, we have God. talked about Prescott Bush, right? Oh God, I, what what did he? What did he? Oh, that he wait. he was actually tried for funding. Like even when Gerald or Gerald Ford, um, Henry Ford, all the fucking fascist Ford, <laughs> um, even when Henry Ford stopped giving money to Nazis in spite of winning the Iron Cross, because the U.S. said, "Okay, that's bad." Now, uh, Prescott Bush was still sending. Like he he was arrested for that, and of course H.W. still got to fight. Conveniently, Japan um, in World War II during that, and then get elevated to head of the CIA, and and totally not at the same time vice president and then president. How do you and think? How do you think H. W. reconciled his probably deep seated racism with his love for fat? Like I want to kill them because they're Asian. But they're also fascist, so they're kind of be kind of good. It must have been such a great internal struggle for him. Yeah, well, no, um, he was fighting for oil. He didn't. He didn't care. I mean, fascists, you know, just like capitalists, they will team together and they were they will always going against communists versus each other. But they do compete with each other on the market, right? Oh, they yeah. don't have they, they don't have like a great affinity. There's no there's no love lost there, right? They'll stab each other in the back for personal gain. He was fighting for oil. It wasn't, I mean, I know he's a huge racist, but it wasn't his racism. He was fighting for oil. Oh! That's what it is. Because the U.S. moved troops into Hawaii and occupied uh, the, you know, indigenous kingdom in order to have bases to attack Japan in order to take over the Pacific Islands for oil. And the Japan rightly saw that, especially the U.S. and the Philippines, as a threat to their oil in the ocean. And that's why they attacked Pearl Harbor. The U.S. all but baited them into it. And it was all about oil. And he went and fought for the oil. Man, a bush fighting for I oil. I was about is, to say though, it was weird thing. because for like two minutes there, I was convinced. I'm like, he thinks I'm talking about W. Bush in Iraq. No. Oh no, it's all the bushes and oil. It's always them bushes, boys, and their oil. It's yes, the bushes have been fighting for oil since the dawn. The of bushes time. fight for three things: oil. Baked beans and beer. These are what they fight for. <laughs> Different Bush families, but they're all connected. I'm convinced. I've got it. I've got my string out. I'll connect some push pins with local joke. Um, okay. All right, gang. Well, that has been our reading for the week. Uh, we will be picking right back up on page 163 uh, when we return to you valiantly next week, as we always do. Never miss. Never a week. You can never break the chain, as Fleetwood Mac once said. Uh, and with that sort of wisdom, uh, if you wanted to reach out to us with more pearls of, of Stevie Nicks-based wisdom, you can do so in a couple different ways, one of which is marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. You can send us emails there. We'll respond to them. It's a great it's a great method of communication. I'm fond of it. Uh, the next way is you can reach out to us on Twitter. Our DMs are open. We have a Twitter account. We use it occasionally. Uh, mostly to retweet things when Nathan's really mad. Uh, that's usually when we use it. Um, but again, if you wanted to drop some Lindsey Buckingham-based vibes our way for whatever reason, uh, you can do so by uh, hitting us up at Mark's Madness Pod on Twitter. And last but not least, in our Twitter bio, there is a link to our Discord server, which you are more than welcome to join. Also, apparently, there's a link on the website 
called Hexbear, which is like leftist Reddit, from what I understand. I'm old, and technology is starting to frighten of me. Hexbear, yeah. I, welcome to the club. <laughs> See, I, I'm only a couple years older than you, and it only took a couple years. You, there's a deadline, and you hit <laughs> We've it. We've been doing and this for like five over. years, David. Um, <laughs> that being said, our Discord server is linked there, or you can email us for it. Um, I'll, I'll get some Skyriders one of these days to put it out there. Um, but you can join our Discord server. It is a delightful community that I am happy to be a part of um and it is just a good place if you wanted to vent or talk about frustrating things going on around you or just have a cool community of people that are talking about their days things of that nature also we play final fantasy also there's a book club and i am laboring this is my official plug to book club y'all hear me y'all listen to this next book we read 1877 st louis commune by mark kruger we're reading about it i'm probably making us do it I'm putting, I'm, I'm, I'm the secreting this into the world. Um, also, listeners, we will probably uh, in because the anniversary of the St. Louis Commune that you may or may not know about uh, is coming up here in the middle of July. We are going to try and have some some little a condensed book review because it's a new book and we can't just read it word for word. Or Nathan would force David to do that, but instead we're just going to do a little review. But it is a fantastic book and I highly recommend it. So if anyone would like to uh, to you know get a head start and get some reading done, uh, 1877 Paris Commune by uh, Mark Kruger, good book. St. Louis Commune. St. Louis, Louis Commune. 1877 St. Louis Commune by Mark Kruger. Good book. I have, I endorse it, and I'm dropping it in David's mailbox probably tomorrow. Uh, next up, David, time for a disclaimer. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, when we started this, um, Nathan, I was I was more of the the, the avid reader of, of socialist things, but Nathan's kind of taken me over there. He's reading books left and right, man. Um, I read one book, Nathan- David. I read one book. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that being said, um, Nathan came up to me. He wanted to, to read Capital with me because, you know, books of theory, books of uh, history, those are things that you want to read in a group. You want to make sure you're going over it another time to soak the material in. You want to make sure you're fully understanding it and the context. You want to get other bits of input. Um, and, you know, two is kind of a small group, but we had us and we read it together and we talked about it and we decided to record it. Maybe we could make our group a little bigger than two. And unfortunately, we can't get you guys' input on real time like that, but we definitely can share our input with you um, and have everybody participate in a bigger group and lo and behold, we put that out as a podcast and that group is here. And since the beginning of that group, what we've been hoping is hopefully whatever group um, or party you're out there organizing in, uh, you're reading these works along with us and we can be another voice, another point of context and input and things like that into these works. Um, let's say that's not happening and the group you're working with is either you know, reading something shorter or maybe something more applicable to a project they're on, and you're reading this on your own. Hopefully, we can be that reading group. We can give you all of those benefits that a reading group gives you. And let's say that's not happening, uh, and it's either a book like this where we read it more word for word, like an enhanced ebook, uh, or a book where we kind of summarize it. Um, Whatever it is that we can do to make these works more accessible to you, because we want these works out there guiding your actions. When revolutionary works turn into revolutionary actions, that's a phenomenon called praxis. Praxis, of course, cannot exist without the theory backing it. That's kind of definitional. The theory is completely useless without praxis. They go hand in hand. They are tied at the hip. Amen. As always, that being said, this has been Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. My name is Nathan. My name is David. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.